The following sermon was preached at Redeeming Grace Fellowship. For more information about RGF, please visit our website at www.rgf.church. Please feel free to make copies of this sermon or distribute to friends and family. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Now we might just say, well, you know, they're kids, they'll grow out of it. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll kind of mature, they'll, they'll leave behind those unkind ways and, and, and develop and mature and become, uh, you know, more model citizens for the rest of the world, right? Well, sadly, it goes deeper in adulthood. And I don't need to give you statistics to show you that racism, human trafficking, domestic violence, religious and political persecution, and war are all an everyday part of our existence. In fact, uh, recently I was doing some research on this and I found that there are only 11 countries in the world that are currently at peace. So in some way, shape, or form, all the rest of the countries of the world are at, in some form of conflict. So what is the answer? In fact, basically what we're asking today and what we're hoping to answer today is what is... Th- where will we find world peace? But even more importantly, where will we find peace with God? That's really at the heart of what we're talking about tonight. That's the severity. That's the, that's the uh, impact or the, um, uh, the, the importance of what we're talking about tonight. And the answer, by the way, and, and Paul says this in Galatians 5, the answer is not religion. The answer is not more religiosity. In fact, Jonathan Swift once said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. And I think that's true. I think if you look at all of the conflicts around the world, there's a lot of religions out there, aren't there? And we have just enough religion to make us hate each other and divide one another. But it's not just hate out there. Sometimes it's unkindness and a lack of compassion in here. James, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your, excuse me, on your evil desires. So it's within This lack of compassion, this unkindness that is plaguing the planet is within. And sometimes even as Christians, we get self-absorbed or we get self-centered and we we stumble into this lack of compassion in our interactions with one another and with people in the world. And so there is still this, this sinfulness that wages war against the spirit within us. We have to be uh, aware of this, um, of this problem within. In fact, it's interesting because as we look at the problem of a lack of compassion, a lack of love, a lack of kindness, I was reading in Romans three ten through 12, and I ran across this word. And it's interesting because it's linked to the word that we find for kindness in Galatians five twenty two. 
In Romans 3, it says, as it is written, there is no one righteous. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. And then in verse 12, it says, all have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. That's the same word in the original language as the word in Galatians 5.22 for kindness. In other words, the problem is within, and there is no one who does this. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. So in Ephesians 4, which is going to be the verse that we're going to look at this evening, Paul sums up the key to world peace in one sentence. All right, so turn to Ephesians 4, verse 32. This is the key to world peace in one sentence. In other words, if everyone could do this, we would have world peace. But even more importantly, what Paul sums up in this one verse is the key to peace with God and to have peace and, and kindness towards one another. Look at what it says in Ephesians 4.32. It says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. We're going to see here a mandate to the church. That if you are a brother and sister in Christ, if you are a child of God, then you have this mandate placed on you to be kind and compassionate to one another. So there's this mandate, and there's two words that are given here. It says kind and compassionate. So let's take a quick look at each of these. These are not quite synonyms. They're kind of synonyms, but they're at least related terms. And the word kindness, I, I see as more of an outward display of acts of kindness, whereas compassion is more of a gut-wrenching feeling or an inward impulse towards kindness. So kindness springs from that inward compassion. Kindness may be defined as this, the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. And that last word, considerate, reminded me of Philippians 2.3, where it says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. We are to consider one another as more important than ourselves. This actually, if you think about it, goes even beyond the, the term, the... Um, uh, the, the great commandment that Jesus gives of love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is actually saying in Philippians chapter 2 that we are to regard others as more important than ourselves. And so in this way, we are able to show kindness because we are friendly, generous, considerate. I'm sure there's much richer definitions of that, but for the sake of our time this evening, uh, we'll just stop with that. So kindness is an outward display of those acts, of those tangible uh, doing good for one another, regarding others as more important than ourselves. The term compassion, I would say, is more of like a gut-wrenching feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. Compassion is, uh, is almost emotional. It's almost like a, uh, uh, the, the word actually has the term spleen 
in it, okay? Like, uh, I, I won't go into an a, a explanation of the Greek there, but it's just, it's basically talking about like this gut-wrenching, you know, heart-rending emotion, this compassion that you are compassionate towards others. I love how Paul says it in Colossians 3. He says, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy in love, that's us, put on heartfelt compassion, as if he needed a synonym, heartfelt compassion, or, or an uh, adjective, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, which we're going to get to that in a minute. But just, just look at how these words continue to be linked together. There's kindness, there's, there's compassion, but now there's gentleness, there's patience, there's humility. That's, you're considering others as more important than yourselves. You're bearing with one another. You're forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive, as it says in Colossians three, twelve and 13. So we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. Now we have a sense of what those words mean. I, I don't mean to, uh, you know, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I know you know what kindness and compassion are, but I think sometimes we need to be reminded of these truths to say that this is much deeper than writing a check to charity. All right, this is much deeper than some sort of uh, benevolent gift or, or, uh, or, or an exchange of, of friendly banter with someone and, and being kind in that way. This is something much deeper that is the fruit of the Spirit. Because really, even in the midst of war, even in the midst of all of the unkindness that's going on around us, even unbelievers can be kind. They can show kindness. So what is it difference? What, what's the... Um, what makes it unique when we're talking about kindness as a fruit of the Spirit? Well, I think it just continues to progress here in Ephesians 4, verse 32, where it says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Now, we do know that in the Bible, there are a lot of different um, encouragements and commands for us to be kind. And it's not just limited to the church. Um. Of course, we're supposed to be kind to the poor, right? Um, Proverbs fourteen twenty one: the one who despises his neighbor sins, but whoever shows kindness to the poor will be happy. Of course, we're supposed to be kind to our enemies. That's a radical truth uh, that, that's hard for us to, to comprehend. But Jesus himself says in Luke 6, but I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good. That's another way of saying be kind. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from one who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? See how Jesus is putting this in a deeper level of kindness. It's not just like, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, okay? I'll invite you over so that you can invite me over, which kind of is what we've done here so far. But, but I think the fellowship here has been much greater than that. Um, you know, not that, not that we're just trying to do something so that we get a kickback in return. But there's a much deeper level of kindness. And so to continue on what Jesus says, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners Love those who love them. Here's a thought. I bet in his life, even Hitler 
was kind to someone. So, so what are we talking about here? Are we just talking about random acts of kindness? Well, let me finish what Jesus says. If, if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do what is good, another term for kindness, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Notice that word merciful. We'll come back to that in a minute. And so we're to be kind to the poor. We're to be kind to our enemies. But here's where we stop. We think, okay, yeah, um, I don't really have any enemies. So sure, sure, I'll be kind I'll be kind to my enemies if the moment happened. Maybe you do have some enemies. I'm not trying to say that we don't. But, you know, nobody's coming and sticking a gun to our head and we're trying to turn the other cheek and those kinds of things on a daily basis. Our, our enemies, our interaction with those who might come across as enemies towards us is very limited. And even with the poor, even our, this injunction or this command that we should be kind to the poor, well, yeah, we could say, you know, occasionally I bump into someone who's down on his luck, asking for a handout. Sure, I'll, I'll be kind in that moment. I'll, I'll tell them Jesus loves them. You know, those are, those are fine, but those are occasional, right? Loving the poor is, is not necessarily an everyday thing. Uh, loving your enemies, you're not going to bump into your enemies on a daily basis. But, but here's where Paul hones in. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. This is supposed to be daily, if not hourly, in our lives, that we would be kind and compassionate to one another. So especially to one another, because there's a frequency here. Um. We can say, oh yeah, I'll be kind to the poor, I'll be kind to my enemies, I'll be kind to this group over here. But, but really, where is all of this kindness going to be displayed? Where is all of this kindness going to be learned? Where is all of this kindness going to be uh, eked out and, and grown in us? Where is this spiritual fruit going to mature in our lives? It's going to be in the church. It's going to be in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are also learning how to extend kindness. So it's especially to one another. It says in Galatians 6.10, shortly after the list of the fruit of the Spirit, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all. So he acknowledges, yes, of course, work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, so Paul has said this before, but, but also John in 1 John three seventeen. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Starting to hit a little closer to home, right? Because I know people in my church who have a need. And if you're in fellowship with other brothers and sisters, if you have any level of relationship with them, if, if you're growing in your relationship with other people in your church, you're going to know that there's people who have a need. And so John, in 1 John three seventeen says, 
If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? You know, it's not just Paul and it's not just John. And of course, we've already mentioned Jesus and Jesus is the ultimate uh, exemplifier of this, but, but also James. Just so that we get a sense that this isn't uh, just some uh, tack-on little uh, command that occasionally shows up in Scripture. No, this is permeating the entire uh, you know, understanding of, of, of the gospel, is this idea of kindness. So James, in chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can his faith save him? How about he gives us an example, right? If a brother or sister, for example, I'm adding that comma for example comma, is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. Paul, John, James, Jesus, they're reminding us that kindness is really at the root of everything. Um, Or I should say, I'm kind of mixing my metaphors there. I apologize. So kindness is the fruit that is evident. It's evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Kindness is that fruit. It's that outward display. So kindness is that act, that tangible good that you do to a brother or sister in need, especially to a brother or sister in need, but also a good good for all. So the kindness that's on the outward part Imagine that that's the apple, that's the orange, that's the fruit on the, on the tree. But that kindness comes out of a heart of compassion. It doesn't come naturally. It's not a work of the flesh. It's a fruit of the spirit. It, it doesn't come naturally. It has to come out of a heart of compassion. And this isn't kindness, as I said before, where I get something out of it. But in, and it's not a favor that gets repaid. It's just simply kindness with no expectation of anything in return. It's just simply blessing someone, doing a good deed for someone, especially a brother or sister in need. So where do we get this heart of compassion? Where do we get, if, it's, if fruit is the outward display of the, 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 the spirit in us, then where is this coming from? Well, we've heard the mandate. Now let's look at the motivation. So our mandate is to be kind and compassionate to one another. The motivation is the second part of verse 32, where it says, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. See, kindness is the fruit. But how does your act of kindness as a Christian look any different from an act of kindness of a non-believer? How does your act of kindness where you help someone financially or with time, you know, help them move something, move some furniture, how does your good deed 
How does it look outwardly any differently from someone else who does a good deed? Well, it's not so much how it looks outwardly, but instead it's what is the motivation behind it? What is the motivation behind it? And what is the frequency of it? See, if you have the Spirit of God at work in you, and the work of the Spirit is, is growing and maturing this fruit on you, then, then there's going to be more kindness. It's going to be uh, captivating kindness. It's going to be uh, just unleashed kindness uh, into the family of God and, and, and into the world. So there's this motivation that comes that's different than the motivation that someone else might have for being kind. Others might be kind because of what they can get in return. But our kindness is from this idea that comes in this part of the verse, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. I think forgiving one another is not a new sentence. It's not a new part. It's related to being kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. And the reason why I think that is because the word there, I think there's another uh, related term that's not specifically in this verse, but I want to introduce it for us to think about, and that's the term mercy. Mercy could be defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Now, that's not necessarily a biblical definition or, or the best definition or the most profound definition, but just, just um, as we think about mercy, it's, it's usually something where, like for example, um, my wife and I have argued on occasion, okay? We, we have had some arguments, and I hope uh, you're not looking at me with judgmental eyes because I think this happens, if we're honest, it's happened before in many of our families. Well, you know, sometimes I'll have an argument with my wife and I'm sticking to my argument. I know I'm right. Logically, the, my case is cut and dried. Okay? There, there's really no other explanation for what must be done for whatever decision it is that we're making. I know I'm right. Of course, she's thinking, I know I'm right. <laughs> there's no other way. There's no other explanation. So, so we might get a little... Um, a little heated, we might, we might start, you know, really digging in our heels and being stubborn about it. But at some point, we begin to realize, and I think sometimes this is, this is usually on her end first before me, but, but sometimes it happens for me first, is that we'll get to a point where we realize, you know what, this isn't worth arguing about. We shouldn't be arguing in the first place. I'm not really being kind to my wife. And the first impulse, whether I'm right or wrong, it doesn't matter at that point, but at some point, the, the Spirit of God will convict me, and I'll, I'll say, I'm sorry. You know what? And then explain, you know, maybe, maybe why I'm, I'm sorry for that, and just kind of uh, genuinely have a heartfelt apology, because I've, I've not been kind. I've not been hearing her uh, her needs or her feelings or her expression or her, or, or her view of the situation. And so I realize that and I say, I'm sorry. The reason why I think these are related terms is because you can't be kind and compassionate to someone you are unwilling to forgive. But when you forgive them, 
you can't help or when you're when you've been forgiven when you've either forgive or have been forgiven you can't help but let, let me say this right you can't help help me out here you, you must be kind and compassionate it's almost like it it just comes out of you because you have been forgiven they have been forgiven compassion flows out of that a lack of forgiveness will usually result in a lack of kindness We do this in the church, and we do this in the world. Have you ever just really been bothered by someone, and you just want them to get what they deserve? Right? But see, that's where mercy comes in. Mercy tells you that, yes, maybe they should be punished. Maybe they do deserve it. You know, if Caleb came up right now and punched me in the face... Uh Uh-oh, he's coming. (laughs) Um, In the flesh, or kind of a worldly response, would be for me to punch him back. That would just be the retaliation. That would just be the natural impulse uh, of most people. If, If someone hurts me, I'll hurt them in return. Caleb deserves to be punished for what he did. Now, maybe in my better uh, judgment, I would say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to leave someone else to do that. I'm not going to just take this retribution into my own hands. I- I'm going to make sure he gets you know, punished for this in some way. But no, mercy offers to a person forgiveness or compassion when it is within one's power to punish or harm. And so when I offer forgiveness or when I offer an apology to my wife for speaking harshly or for not hearing her, or when I say to someone in the church, I'm sorry, or please forgive me, and they offer that forgiveness, or I offer them forgiveness for something, then you can't help but be kind and compassionate after that offer of apology. Am I right? Are you realizing, like, you can think of your own experiences and you can realize this is, this is true. This is, this is why I think Paul includes these all in one verse here where he says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, one another forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. But we kind of come to the end of this verse and we realize we still need help with that. I have trouble being kind. I have trouble being compassionate. I have trouble forgiving. Um, I can't do it perfectly, but that's why we get to the last part where it says, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And this is our motivation. This is our motivation, and it's the means by which we can show Christian brotherly love and, and kindness and compassion to each other. It comes because we've been motivated by the gift of mercy and the gift of forgiveness and the gift of kindness that was displayed to us. I'm just going to read eight verses from Titus because it's a related uh, topic from Paul writing to Titus where he says in chapter 3, he kind of gives an assortment of, uh, uh, of exhortations that Titus is supposed to give to the church. 
but they're all under kind of the banner of kindness. He says, remind them, in other words, Titus, remind the people, remind the church, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, that's kind, to avoid fighting, that's kind, and to be kind, that's kind, all right? Always showing gentleness to all people, that's kind. And, and here's why. He says in verse three, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. And remember what James said earlier when, when I mentioned what he says in James, that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. This is why there is a lack of compassion in the world. It's because we, we too were like that. We too were once like that. But look at the gospel in verse four. But when the kindness of God, our savior. All right, so let me stop there. But when the kindness of God, our savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So do you see how all of this comes together and that our, the fruit of the spirit of kindness that's coming out of our lives, it comes from a heart of compassion that was put there because Jesus has forgiven us and has given us a new heart and has placed his spirit within us so that we might bear fruit. And then it goes on, it says in verse six, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior. That's how it's through the blood of Jesus. It was his show, his display of kindness on the cross that made all of this possible for us. And, and, uh, and so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things. Paul says to Titus, so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. It, it's just like a ever, never-ending faith works, faith works, faith works, faith works kind of cycle. These are good and profitable for everyone. So what is our motivation for showing kindness, for allowing the fruit of kindness to blossom in our hearts? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he showed his kindness toward us, that God uh, has, that, that his kindness has appeared to us in Jesus. And ultimately, this is good if we concentrate this kind of kindness and compassion within the church. And it's good to be helpful and kind to the poor. It's helpful uh, and good and right to be kind to our enemies. It's good and, and, and helpful to be kind to our boss and, and to our neighbor and, and all of the things that we're supposed to be doing, but concentrated in the church. The reason why this kindness is concentrated in the church, that especially to the household of faith, is because it's by this, according to... Uh, uh, in, in John thirteen thirty five, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus is saying that this is how everyone's going to know 
what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. This is how everyone's going to see the gospel on display is through our kindness to one another, especially, specifically to the household of faith. Theologian William Barclay once said, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. That's not to say that theological arguments aren't important, but it's saying that many times people see how we live before they hear what we have to say. So this is kindness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for your kindness. Lord, help us not to despise your kindness and your restraint and patience. Help us to recognize that your kindness was intended to lead us to repentance, as it says in Romans 2.4. Lord, uh, you have made your gospel known to us. You have revealed yourself to us by sending your son Jesus to die for us, to, to do not a random act of kindness, but a deliberate act of kindness so that we might have eternal life and that our entire life will have this abundance of life where this fruit of the spirit is just continually growing and, and thriving and, and is appealing to the world around us. That as the world sees the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and self-control and patience, Lord, as they see that fruit evident among us that they desire to taste and see that the Lord is good. So, Father, would you help us by your spirit to exhibit this fruit? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.